Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Um, it's good to be with you. I love having fun in church. I love also studying God's Word. Um, grab your Bible. Turn with me to John chapter 15. And uh, we're going to look at the first eight verses of John chapter 15. And Jesus is having um, a private conversation, but a very direct conversation with his disciples. And if I were to summarize in just one, one phrase or one thought what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples in John 15, and we'll unpack this here in a moment. But I think Jesus is trying to say to the disciples, guys, um, you got one job. You just got one job. How many of you mothers have ever said that to your teenage uh, son or daughter as you're leaving the home? You got one job. You just, by, by the time I get home, I want this done. How many of you wives have said that to your husbands? How many of your husbands have been on the receiving end of this? Honey, <laughs> just one job, right? My, my wife uh, used that phrase with me uh, years ago. Um, I was going on, uh, I, was, I was walking out the door to go hunting with my father. I, I, every year, my dad and I always go on this little hunting trip up in like the northern corner of Pennsylvania. And, um, and so my wife says to me, honey, you got one job. And I'm like, I know it's, it's get the largest deer ever. She said, no, 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 no. She said, your one job is I want you on your way home. I want you to buy the Christmas tree for the family. I want a real tree this year and I want a really, really big tree this year and it'll be much cheaper out there. So buy it out there. How many of you are real Christmas tree people? Gotta be real, gotta be real, gotta be. Okay, that's not much. That's, how, how many of you are fake Christmas tree people? Oh, goodness. You're living on the dark side of Christmas. No, I know that life. You decorated that tree one time and you just throw it in the closet every year after that. And you just pull it out and plug it in. You're just like, mm. my, so my wife decides, she's like, I want a real tree. And so, um, so we, uh, we go hunting and then on the way home, uh, I stop and I, I get the tree and um, it's great. I tie it to the top of the truck and away we go. And I say, we, at this point, it's me and my dog, my golden retriever, my big dog, my real dog, right? And he's riding shotgun and we got a five hour trip ahead of us. At about halfway home, I pull off, uh, go, to, go through a drive-thru. I see some food, need some caffeine. I got one job. Everyone say one job. And my one job right now at this point is get the Christmas tree home, right? And so I, I'm, I'm pulling out of, the, of the, the little fast food drive-thru, and I just need to get back on the exit ramp and get back on Route 80, and here we go. But I get distracted. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the only one in the room. But sometimes I get distracted from my one job. Anybody with me? Right? Come on. And uh, I get distracted and I, I see a sign right before I should be getting back on the highway. I see a sign for a car wash. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I saw that sign and I got so excited and I just was like, well, that's a great idea. And I look at the dog and I was like, dude, you want to get the car wash? You know, you're a dog. Dogs love the car wash, right? And, you know, I'm like, let's do it. Let's get the car. I'm thinking to myself, my wife's going to be so proud of me. I'm getting the car wash before I come home, completely forgetting there's a Christmas tree up there. And so I, I pull up to the car wash. It's a self-serve one, meaning there's no attendant there to say, hey, you're an idiot. Like, Apparently, I needed that in my life at this moment, right? I'm making my selection on the little machine, wash, wax, clear coat, extra. I am, I am like Buddy the Elf in the elevator. Just light up every button, right? I just want to see them all. And 
I'm excited. The dog's excited. We drive through the car wash. Everything is great. We leave the car wash. And I, I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, like, I did a good thing. I got the car washed. I kid you not, probably an hour goes by. I'm on the highway driving, just, just enjoying, living my best life right now, right? And all of a sudden, it hits me. Have you ever had this moment? Your stupidity reveals itself to you. <laughs> You're like, how did I do what I just did? I, I, I don't, I'm like, I, oh my goodness, there's a tree up. I just, car wash, what, what is, I just, I just drove the crisp, I just, I, then I stop and I'm like, we just drove because you're going to take some responsibility for this, pal. <laughs> I think and I can't believe it. I'm, I'm paranoid. I am nervous. I am anxious, right? I mean, I, I mean, just like, I can't believe I, I ruined Christmas. If there's even a tree left up there, it's like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree at this point. I'm like, I just, and so I get, I get home not long after this moment and, and I very quickly get out of the car because because I have been married long enough at this point to know I need to assess the damage and consider my options in what I tell my wife, right? Any, any wise husband in the room would agree with me right now. I'm just saying. So I get out, and to my pleasant surprise, the tree looks absolutely fine. I can't believe it. I am shocked. It is a Christmas miracle, I tell you. I just, I'm the, right? And so, so I, I, I look at the dog, and I'm like, nobody knows. We, we going to keep it that way. And we had like a little Paul pound. We good. Well, like I grabbed the tree. I'm rolling into the house. Like the mighty hunter has returned home. I put the tree down. The kids are really young then. They're jumping up and down. And this tree just starts dripping water. There is like a puddle ring just around, all over the floor. And so my wife, she's like, oh man. She's like, the tree is so wet. And I'm like, Yeah. Yes, yes it is. Yep, it, that, is a wet, that is one wet tree right there. And she's like, did it, did it rain on the way home? She's like, because it didn't rain here. And I'm like, well, you know, we did hit some water on the way home. Yes, that absolutely. <laughs> that's true, right? That counts. I mean, that's And so I, I'm like, I'm not telling her. So she decorates this thing. A couple of days go by. And I, I come walking through the living room the one afternoon, and my wife is over there by the tree, and she's all huddled up close to it, and she has one of the pine branches in the palm of her hand, and she is looking intently, like she's Sherlock Holmes or something, I don't know, and she's just staring at this thing. I immediately have a rebirth of junior high boy emotions, you know, when your mother is getting ready to bust you for what you've been trying to hide from her? This is how I feel in this moment. And she says to me, she's like, baby, she's like, I think there's something different about the tree. And I'm like, oh, well, 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 what do you think is different? You know, I'm trying to get her off my scent a little bit. What do you think is different? She says this to me. She, I kid you not. She says, it's almost like the pine needles are shiny. <laughs> I, I, I'm vividly remembering the clear coat wax button at this moment, like, like, oh, I was super excited about that one. It was so, right? And, and I'm like, I don't know, babe. It's uh, same, same, same uh, tree as I got last year. Fraser fir, that's it, same one. And I'm like, I'm not telling it. Like another, another week or so goes by. It's almost Christmas. And this one evening, we're sitting there in the living room, and, and, and there's like the lights are, are, are on the tree glowing, and there's Christmas music in the background. The dogs asleep at our feet. I got my arm around her, and just having this good, good uh, evening. And she interrupts this wonderful Christmas romantic moment, and she says, baby, 
I am worried about this Christmas tree. At which point the dog wakes up, looks at me, and just goes to the other room. He's like, I'm out. I'm just done. You're on your own, buddy. I'm like, I'm like, honey, don't worry about the tree. It's beautiful. You did a great job decorating it. Again, trying to get her off my scent. She's like, no, not that. She's like, I, I think the tree is drying out too fast. Have you been watering this tree? Did you give this tree enough water? I'm thinking to myself, baby, that tree got so much water. I mean, I'm like, is good for life. This thing, this thing dries up, dies, brown, shrivel, fire hazard, everything you don't want, like, like a day after Christmas, at which point my wife knows, like she knows something happened and she looks at me, she's like, what did you do to my tree? I know there's something going on here. I don't, I don't know if I'm the only husband who feels this way. I just feel like God has given women the spiritual gift of always knowing whenever something is off. It's like, it's like your spiritual spidey senses or something or, you know, and, and so she's like, I know. And I'm, I look at her and I got to come clean and coming clean at this point involves me finding a way to formulate words in a sentence that to my knowledge have never been spoken in the history of humanity. I drove the Christmas tree through a car wash. Like who's ever said that? I just want to know. I, I just, I have. Uh, I always wanted to be known for doing something in life that no one had ever done. This was not my idea of what that moment was going to be like. Um, um, and, and so she, she's, just, she's speechless. But another gift that God has given women is they can say more with their eyes than they ever could say with their mouth anyways. And all I see her in her eyes, she's looking at me th th thinking like, I married an idiot. I, I mean, I just... <laughs> to which I respond like, baby, I just... You're a Christian. You can't quit the team. Like, we're just in the... Like, sorry, like... One job. Look at your neighbor. Say one job. Whew. Okay. Jesus here in John 5. Some of you are like, what is happening in church today? Is this, what, are we talking about the Bible or not? We are. We actually are. We actually are. Jesus is, is having a very direct conversation with his disciples. And again, if I was going to paraphrase what he says in verses 1 through 8 of John chapter 15, it's Jesus saying, this is your one job. But before we dive deep into the text, which we will. Let me, let me zoom out for a second and give you a little bit of context so you can understand the weight of Jesus' words when he delivers them to the disciples. In John 15, at this point, at this moment in history, Jesus is sitting privately with his disciples. There's no audience, there's no crowd, it's just him and his disciples. These men have been traveling with Jesus for three years now. During that three-year period of time, they have listened to Jesus teach and preach, and they have watched him perform at least no fewer than two dozen different miracles. They've seen the feeding of the 5,000. They've seen dead people come to life. They've seen blind eyes open, and, 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 and they've, they, deaf ears open, and, and demoniacs uh, cast free, set free from demon possession. I mean, they've just seen miracle after miracle. They've seen all this for three years. In John 13, just two chapters before John 15, Jesus has invited the disciples to come to what you and I know to be called the Last Supper. The disciples, however, don't know that it's called the Last Supper. The disciples most likely think, oh, this is just like a private dinner invitation from Jesus, and we're going to celebrate the Passover together, this Jewish cultural custom. This is going to be a wonderful, wonderful night. In fact, most scholars, most Bible scholars would tell you that right up until the time Jesus is crucified, and then he raises from, from the dead three days later, right up until that time, it's most likely true that the disciples thought that Jesus' kingdom would be an earthly kingdom, not a heavenly kingdom. Meaning that Jesus at one point would say, 
it's time for us to recruit an army and drive out the, the Romans from occupying the land of Israel. So most likely that's what the disciples think is going to happen. In John 15, they come to the Last Supper and all of a sudden things start to go a completely different direction than what the disciples probably thought it was going to go. Within a couple minutes of dinner starting, Judas, one of their brothers that's traveled with them for three years, is outed as the betrayer and he gets up and leaves. So the disciples got to be a little shook at this point, right? They got to be like, what is going on? Where is Judas going? What is happening here, right? Right after Judas leaves, Jesus in John 14 begins to unpack for the disciples that he himself is getting ready to leave as well. So if you're a disciple, you're thinking, what's going on here? Like we've been rolling with Jesus for like three years now. All of a sudden Judas is going to betray us and Jesus is saying he's leaving as well. Then Jesus goes on. You can go back and study all this. I'm just paraphrasing it for you. Jesus goes on through the rest of John 14, and he begins to say this to the disciples. He says, everything that you watched me do over the last three years, meaning all the miracles that I did, you're going to do that after I leave. So if you're one of the disciples, you're thinking, what's happening here? (laughs) Judas is betraying us. Jesus is leaving. And now he's telling us, I'm responsible. We are collectively responsible to carry on his work. What Jesus knows at this point that the disciples still don't know, that just hours from this moment, he's going to go to the garden. He'll be betrayed. He'll then be arrested. He will then be put up uh, for trial. It will be a mockery of a trial. Then will be his crucifixion. Then three days later, three very dark depression-filled days for the disciples. Three days later will then be his resurrection. And then not long after that will be his ascension. And ultimately what Jesus knows that the disciples don't understand is that the disciples will be the leaders of the early New Testament church. Jesus understands all this. He adds, if you skip over chapter 15, in chapter 16, Jesus adds this one little caveat. He says, oh, by the way, guys, the world is going to hate you because of me. Jesus, man, you have a lot of good news tonight. I mean, like, I'm so glad I accepted this dinner invitation. This is wonderful. So Judas is a betrayer. You're leaving. We're responsible to do everything you did, and everyone's going to hate us for it. Glad I signed up for this three-year experience. This is wonderful. But right, right in the middle of it, right at John 15, this is where Jesus says to his disciples, I'm paraphrasing, you've got one job. You've got one job. Everyone say one job. You got one job. If, if you fulfill your one job, then everything will fall into place. If you do the one thing, the main thing that I want you to do, all of these other things we're talking about, they will all follow the right direction. It will all fall into place. So with that as our context, now let's read John 15, verses 1 through 8. Follow along with me. Here we go. I'm reading from the NIV. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, then he will bear much fruit. 
but apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, then he is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. But, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. How much fruit? How much? Much fruit. Much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is Jesus saying to his disciples, you've got one job. Remain. Remain. He says that eight times, he uses the word eight times, he uses the word remain eight times in eight verses, remain. He says remain, 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 remain. If you, if you read this in the King James Version, it'll say abide, 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 right? If you read in another version, it might say stay, stay, stay. But Jesus does this with a, with a word picture. He does this with an, with, with an analogy. And he basically says it like this. He says, hey guys, listen, here's how it works. I am... Jesus, Jesus speaking of himself, he's saying, I am the vine, or I am like, you could, you could imagine like a tree trunk, right? I'm the root system, I'm the tree trunk. You are the branches. God is the gardener, right? So Jesus is the tree trunk or the vine, you're the branch, God's the gardener. I mean, we don't even get to be, have, we're just a branch. Did you ever think about that? I'm just, look at your neighbor and just tell him, you're just a branch, right? If it's your wife, you can say you're a good looking branch, but you're just a branch, right? I mean, come on. I mean, that's all we are. We're not the fruit. We're not the leaves, right? I mean, we're not, the, we're not the tree trunk. We're not the root system. We're not the source. No, we're just connected to the source, right? So Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. And your number one job is to remain, is to abide. Your number one job is to simply be faithful, to stay and get as close to me as you possibly can. Right? This is what Jesus is telling the disciples. Among everything else he said, this guy's going to betray you. People are going to hate you because of me. You're going to have a lot of pressure on you. Right? You're going you're to have to found and start and lead the early New Testament church. I mean, the weight of the world is on their shoulders. More weight than what they even realize, quite frankly. Right? But Jesus says to them, if you're going to be able to do any of this, you've just got one main job, and that is you've got to remain. You have to abide you, you, again and again and again. Just, just stay connected. Jesus is saying to them, you need to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. Eight times. And if you're like me, sometimes I don't like to do the same thing. Anybody? Sometimes I get bored of the same old, same old. Sometimes I like to change it up. I want to mix it up a little bit. Sometimes I want different. Sometimes I want new. Sometimes I want to try and experiment with something else. In fact, I think that's kind of a little bit of American cultural influence on us at times. Because our culture tells us that what is best in life is, is new and new upgrade and glitz and glam. And, you know, we want something, something exciting and I want to look forward to it. In fact, in fact, even in the church world, sometimes we become far too addicted to exciting. To the demise of just some of the same old, same old faithful practices that actually are what produces the fruit. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, ultimately, this text is saying this. He's saying, your faithfulness always precedes your fruitfulness. And if you miss out on faithfulness, you'll actually never get to see the fruitfulness that you want. We get, we get addicted to the fruitfulness because that's new. That's, that's exciting. That's, that's, wow, look at that. We, we celebrate 
even in church culture, we do a far better job celebrating fruitfulness than we do faithfulness. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, 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 listen. You will never produce the fruit that you want. And how, by the way, how much fruit are you supposed to produce? The text says much. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. But Jesus is saying, you will never produce the fruit that you want unless you learn to embrace some same old, same old faithfulness. I, I think um, I, see, I think same gets a really bad rap, right? Because, you know, we kind of demise like same old, same old, oh, same old, same old. We got to change up. We got to do something different, right? And, and there's, there's good cause for that to some degree because there are some versions of sameness in your life that you probably don't want. If I, if I could say it a different way, if I could say, and this is, this, is, this is my first big point for you. If I could say it a different way, though, when I say Jesus demands faithfulness that precedes your fruitfulness, I could say it like this. If you, if you, this is my first point, write this down. If you resist the monotonous in your life, you'll miss the miraculous. If you resist the monotonous in your life, you will miss the miraculous. The miraculous is the fruit. The miraculous is the end result. The miraculous is the end year report that says you hit all of your goals in your business. The miraculous is the family that you finally raise or the kids that you finally set up. That's the miraculous. But the only way you get there is by embracing the monotonous, right? It's by embracing the quiet, behind the scenes faithfulness that it requires, right? And we don't like this because, because, because everything in our culture says, no, same, same old, same old, same old. And there are some versions of sameness in your life that you probably want to avoid. And then there are some that you want to embrace. Let me real quickly, let me just walk you through this real quick. Uh, I'll give you a, com- a couple examples here of some sameness that you probably want to avoid in your life. Uh, here, here's number one. Stagnant sameness. Stagnant sameness. Uh, that's when you do the same old thing because you just do the same old thing. And you know that it's not producing anything for you, but you just do it because you've always done it. It's stagnant. You keep going back to the same habits. You keep going back to the same places. You keep going back to the same relationships, the same friendships. And you know they're not producing what you really need, but you just do it because you're comfortable doing it. It's stagnant. It's not producing for you. That's stagnant sameness. Number two, uh, stupid sameness. Stupid sameness. Everyone just look straight ahead right now. Don't look at your neighbor that you're thinking about right now. Don't do that. Don't do that. Wives, don't look at your husbands. You can talk to them later about this. Okay. Um, stupid sameness. That, that, that's, the, that's the kind of sameness in your life, in my life, when you keep on making the same mistake over and over and over again. Right? I, and, and then at some point, you get, you, you, all of a sudden, at some point, you're like, how did, how did I just drive the Christmas tree through the car wash? Like, how did that happen? Like, you know what I mean? Like, listen, it is one thing for me to tell you a story about how I lost my focus and drove a Christmas tree through the car wash. But if I told you that I did the same thing five years in a row, <laughs> Pastor Aaron would be like, I, he, I don't think we're ever going to have him back, actually. I just, I just, I just, any guy who can't figure out that mistake the first time, I don't know. I just, you know what I'm saying? Like, but listen, we do this, do we not? We make the same old mistakes over and over and over again. We already know what the end result's going to be. We know it's not going to be any better than the last time we did it, but we keep making the same mistake. That's stupid sameness. Why do I keep falling for the same guy, for the same girl, for the same relationship, for the same temptation again and again and again? It's stupid sameness, right? Number three, stubborn sameness, stubborn sameness. 
Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you right now. He's talking about, this is, this is you. <laughs> but see, this is a, this is, here's what stubborn sameness sounds like. Stubborn sameness sounds like this. I do what I do because it's what I like to do. And it's the way I've always done it. And because it's the way I've always done it, it's the way I'm going to always do it. I'm just keeping it real. This is me. This is how I roll. This is the way I think it should be. Some people, some of you are laughing or some of you are actually trying not to laugh right now because the person you're thinking about is sitting right beside you. But, but it's stubborn sameness is what it is. Right? It's all that it is. We know it's not producing. You can keep on doing it the same way you've always done it. You're not going to get any different results. By the way, that's insanity, right? Doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. We call it stubborn sameness. Let me give you one more. Uh, uh, scared sameness. That, that is when you are in a moment in your life where you really would like to grow. You really would like to produce fruit, much fruit, like Jesus is talking about in John 15. But you know it's going to demand change. And you're scared. I want to grow. But I, but, 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 I, but I know in order for me to grow, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to forgive. And I'm, I'm scared to forgive. I want to grow and I want to produce fruit, but I know in order to do that, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone and I'm scared to get out of my comfort zone. I want to grow. I want, I want to see more fruit in my life and through my life, but I'm just too scared. You listen, friend, you're like the Israelites in the old Testament walking around the same mountain for 40 years and you can never cross the river because you're just way too afraid to take that first step. That's scared sameness. Ultimately in this text, Jesus is not really talking about any of these. He's talking about a version of sameness that you want to embrace for your entire life. It's what I call sacred sameness. It's when you learn to embrace the sacred rhythms that keep you closely connected to Jesus. It's when you learn to embrace some spiritual habits in your life that allow you not to just maintain your intimacy and your closeness with Jesus, but allow you to, on a consistent basis, continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about your Bible reading. I'm talking about your worship. I'm talking about your prayer. I'm talking about your church attendance. I'm talking about where you serve and how much you serve in ministry. I'm talking about your decisions with your money when it comes to generosity and tithing and giving. I'm talking about the sacred rhythms in your life that you keep on doing over and over and over again because they're like a spring of clean water that you keep going back to and you know it's always going to be refreshing to you. It will always produce for you. Listen, friend, that's why I read my Bible because I know it will produce for me. That's why I worship because it will produce for me again and again and again. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying if you resist the monotonous, you'll miss the miraculous. You'll miss the very thing that you want the most. You want fruitfulness? It starts with faithfulness. You want miraculous? It starts by embracing some areas in your life that might feel very monotonous to you. You talk to any great musician, they'll tell you the end result of what you just heard or, or saw happened in the private place of great monotony. Practicing those scales over and over and over again. Going to lessons again. You talk to any great athlete, and they'll tell you the miraculous of what you've just seen in a sporting event happened in the private place in the gym when they're working out doing the rep over and over and over and over again. You have to learn to embrace the monotonous in order to see the miraculous. That's what Jesus is saying in the text. But Jesus puts it 
the whole story, the whole text, he puts it in, 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 in the frame or, or in the, the analogy of a garden. And he says, hey, God's going to be the gardener. You're going to be the branch. I'm going to be the vine or the source of life to the branch, the tree trunk. And then in verse 2, he says this. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, that does bear fruit, he prunes. Okay. Real talk time. I do not like verse 2. I think if you like verse 2, you're weird. I mean, come on, who signs up, who signs up to be pruned? I mean, everybody will sign up for fruitfulness. Come on. Everyone will sign up for that. Like, oh, yeah, fruitfulness. They get, like, just, I get to pray a simple prayer. I get to be like, Jesus, I'm close to you. And then, like, pop, boom, fruit just comes rolling out. Like, okay, that's great, you know. I mean, I'll sign up for that. But Jesus says it doesn't work that way. I, I, if it worked the way that I wanted it to work, like, like if, if, if Aaron could rewrite verse 2, which I cannot, but if, but if I could, it would sound more like this. I'm a branch. And my branches started to produce some fruit. And then one day, God, the gardener, shows up. And he saw the fruit on my branch. And this is what he did. Look at you, little branch. I'm so proud of you, little branch. You got some little fruit popping out over there, little branch. Look at you. I'm so, hey, everybody, let's give the little branch a big round of applause. Someone bring little branch some water. Someone bring little branch like, like some sunlight. I mean, keep on going, little branch. Keep on growing, little branch. I am proud of you, little branch. Come on. That's what you all want too, isn't it? Just give me a little pat on the back. You know, like normally I would cuss that person out who cut me off, but I just, I just waved at him this time with more than one finger. This time I did it. It was great. You know, like, I mean, we, you know, we want celebrated every little area of our life where we produce fruit. And, uh, but verse two tells me that's actually not how the process of growth works. Verse two tells me that God and the gardener shows up in my life, all Edward Scissors hands like, and starts snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap over and over and over again. Right. And because his goal is what? He wants me to produce how much fruit? More, much, yeah. More than I produced so far. I, I remember when, um, when I was a boy, I was a junior high boy, we were living in Pittsburgh, um, and uh, we lived in this little tiny parsonage. Uh, if you don't know what a parsonage is, it was back in the day, churches would, act, would own a home that the pastor would live in, right? Um, not as common today. And um, we lived in this little parsonage, and my dad decided that uh, he wanted to plant a couple uh, apple trees and, a, and one peach tree in the backyard. And I, I think I was 11 when this happened. I was so excited because I was like, this is going to be great. And I was like, I love peaches. This is going to be so awesome. I can't wait. This is incredible. And uh, so my dad got the trees and dug the holes and put the you know, trees in there. And I remember we're out there watering them the first day. And I'm like, this is great. This is awesome. And the next morning, I wake up and I go running out to pick a peach for breakfast. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, there's no peaches. I go running back into the house. I'm like, I'm like, a, like an alarmist. I'm like, dad, dad, there's a big problem outside. There's something wrong. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, there's something wrong with the peach tree. I just went to pick a peach and there's no peaches on the peach tree. And he's like, he's like, son, listen, it's going to take time. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. Like, you know, it just takes some time. So I waited a whole week. And then, and then I waited a whole month. 
And I, I was so frustrated. I finally gave up. I was just like, I don't think my dad knows what he's doing. Like, this is, this is crazy. Like, this is a, like he's a, he don't know what he's doing. And, uh, and um, I remember about a year later, I came outside one day, and my dad was out there pruning. I didn't, I, didn't know what, I didn't even know what you call him at that point in my life. He had pruning shears, and he was pruning the branches back. And I didn't understand anything about pruning. I didn't even know that word. But this is what I said to him. I was like, that's right, Dad. Cut those trees down because they're all broke anyways, right? I'm thinking, like, get rid of them. But then he begins to explain to me, no, 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 son. He's like, son, I'm pruning them. Because when you prune back the branches, it forces the branch to draw. Listen, listen to what I'm saying and apply it to your life now spiritually. When I prune back the branches, it causes the branch to draw more sustenance more nutrients, more life from the source, from the tree trunk, from the root system. And then when the branch begins to grow back, the branch will grow back bigger and stronger and therefore can bear the weight of more fruit. Listen to me. Let me just speak this prophetically over some of you, maybe individually or maybe even over you as a church right now. You guys can decide, Pastor, you can decide whether this is for the whole body or whether this is for just a handful of people right now. But there are some of you in this place that have great vision for a fruitful life, but you can't bear the weight of that fruit right now. You, are, you, you do not have the habits or the responsibility or the spiritual strength or tenacity or faithfulness to actually bear the weight of responsibility that would be on you if your life actually did produce what you wanted to produce. I've, listen, I've seen this in churches. My whole life I've been in church. I've seen churches that talk great game and great vision for what they're going to do, who they're going to reach, what, what they're going to accomplish for the kingdom of God. And they are in no way, shape, or form ready to bear the weight of responsibility for that kind of fruit. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. This is not happy preaching right now. I, I, I understand it. Because what it means, according to the text is that you and I have to be pruned. And if you're not pruned or you resist the pruning, then you'll never actually see the purposes of fruit fulfilled through your life. Point number two, if you resist the setback, you'll miss the setup. Because the setback is every moment in your life where you feel Oh, I didn't, I didn't even know it was really pruning, but it felt like a setback. It felt like I got cut back. It felt like I lost something. It felt like something went the wrong direction. This was not the way it was supposed to happen. This was not the way my marriage was supposed to turn out or my family was supposed to turn out. This is not the way my career was supposed to begin or end. This is not, I do not have the results that I thought or planned on having. That's a setback. But if you see the setback divinely as a setup, then you're in line with John 15. Let's talk about pruning for a couple minutes. Band, come on, join me. I'm, I'm going to be done. I'm going to give you four thoughts on pruning. All of these are going to be pretty quick. I want you to write them down. I'm just, I'm just putting my, my coaching hat on here real quick. I want you to write them down. Because what I believe the Holy Spirit's going to do in the next couple minutes is one of these four statements that I'm going to give you is going to be like the one that the Holy Spirit wants you to circle or highlight Right? So that you can walk out of here today, or if you're watching online, you can, you can finish the online broadcast and you can say, that's what God's doing in my life right now. That's what's happening in my life right now. Are you ready? I'm going to give you four. I'm going to unpack each of them just real briefly, and then we're going to be done. We're going to pray together. What does pruning do? What does pruning do in our life? Number one, pruning 
is a purifier to my passion. Pruning is a purifier to my passion. Here's what what happens in life. Um, We get passionate about things. That's true for all of us. Just very humanly speaking. I'm not even talking spiritually. We're just saying like in life, we find ourselves passionate about certain things. Typically, your passions will be in alignment with something that you are good at doing. Like something you're gifted at doing. So this could, this could be business, this could be career, this could be job opportunities, this could be spiritual too, it could be ministry related. So you're passionate, your passion is in alignment with your gifting or something you're good at, and then over time what happens is your passion and your gifting begin to produce fruit. Right? Everybody with me? My business is growing, my job opportunities are growing. My career is moving forward. Open doors are happening because of my passion and my giftedness. And so therefore, I'm seeing fruit take place. The longer that process happens in your life, the easier it is. Listening, listen closely now. The easier it is for you to start to focus more attention on the fruit rather than the root. Jesus is the root. Right? Jesus is the source. Jesus is the tree trunk. Jesus is the vine. But my passion and my gifting are producing fruit for me. They're, they're producing my best life. They're producing my goals achieved, right? And so I want to put more emphasis and more focus that direction. And I want to focus on the gift rather than the giver of the gift. I want to focus on the resource that's been produced through my gifting rather than the one who is the source of the resource. Are you with me? I want to focus on the results of having Jesus more than on having Jesus. See, see what happens to some of us, if, if we're really just gut level honest with us, some of us don't want Jesus as much as we want Jesus to do something for us. I'm going to say that again. Some of you don't want Jesus as much as you want Jesus to do something for you. You're more focused on the results of having Jesus than on the fact that you have Jesus. Do you want Jesus or do you want the results of having Jesus? Do you want faith or do you want the results of having faith? God uses pruning in our lives in order to cause us to no longer focus on the fruit because it's temporarily gone. And it makes us redirect our attention towards the root, the one who produced it to begin with. So pruning becomes a purifier to my passions. Secondly, number two, pruning is a purpose to my pain. Pruning is purpose to my pain. The great pastor, A.W. Tozer, he said it like this. He said, when I realize that every difficulty I experience in life is meant to make me more Christ-like, it relieves a great deal of anxiety in my life. So what that means is every time you are hurt in life, every time you experience pain, whether that's physical pain, whether that's emotional pain, spiritual pain, mental pain, whatever it is, every time you experience some form of suffering, some form of loss, some form of grief, right? Something that you would say, ouch, that hurts. I don't want to have to go through that again, if ever possible. When you experience that, oftentimes the purpose in God's view is not that that happens to simply produce hurt or pain. It happens to actually produce more Christ-like behavior in us. That doesn't mean that God did it, friend. It just simply means that God will use it to make you more like Christ. Listen, this is the difference between 
maturity in your faith and immaturity in your faith. This is the difference between salvation and sanctification. Let me get theological on you for a second. Salvation is free and instantaneous. Sanctification, which means to become more like Christ, that will cost you the rest of your life. And God uses pruning to do that. And he uses pain to do that. And so now, what you and I can understand according to John 15, is that when I'm in pain, there's purpose to my pain. It's not just the cruel of life. It's not just, it's not just the inhumanity of the world we live in. It's not just this fallen world that hurts people again and again and again. It's God saying, I, if you allow me to, I will use your pain and I will assign a purpose to it. And my greatest purpose will be you becoming more Christ-like. So there's a purpose to my pain. Number three, number three, pruning is provision of his presence. Pruning is provision of his presence. Go back to the text. What does the text say? The text says in verse 2 that God the gardener is the one who will make the pruning cut. And if God the gardener is the one in your garden, in my garden, in your life, in my life that makes the cut, then that means he must be very close when it happens. So pruning then is proof of or provision of or promise fulfilled of his presence in my life. I think some of us have bought into this, this really dangerous false theology that makes us think that God loves us the most and that he's most pleased with us when you know we're reading our Bible every day and we're coming to church on a regular basis and we're serving and everything's really, really good. When, when I'm using my gifts, you know what I mean? Like, like, like the band up here, like, oh, God loves you guys more right now because you're on stage and using your gifts. That's not true. In fact, I could make a biblical case for you that God is closer to you in your brokenness and in your pain than at any other moment in your life. The Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. The Bible says in Psalm 56 that God collects your tears in a bottle. He keeps track of all of your sorrows. So friend, if you're being pruned right now, it's proof that Jesus is so, so close. Here's the last one. This is my favorite one probably because it's the most encouraging one number four pruning is a prophecy to my potential pruning is a prophecy to my potential the text tells me in verse eight that god wants me to produce how much fruit much fruit how much fruit how much fruit so that means that i actually currently have not actually produced the amount of fruit that he ultimately wants me to produce right does that make sense so when I'm pruned, it's God's prophetic statement over me that he's not done with me yet. It's God prophesying over me, there's still more potential in you. It's God prophetically declaring over you through the pruning process, I'm not done with you yet. There's unfulfilled potential in you, friend. There's unfulfilled purpose in you, church. There's more to come. There's more fruit to come in you and through you. So I'll use pruning as a way to prophetically declare over you, I'm not done. I haven't thrown you away yet. I haven't abandoned you. I'm still working on you. I'm still working in you. It's a prophetic statement over your life. It's God's way of looking at you and saying, friend, there's a you inside of you that you haven't even met yet. There's a more joy-filled you in you. There's a more peace-filled you in you. There's a more loving you in you. There's a more Christ-like version of yourself in you, but I got to prune you in order to get it through you and out of you. It's God saying, I'm not done with you yet. 
I'm still working on you. How much fruit? How much fruit? Faithfulness precedes my fruitfulness. I embrace the monotonous to see the miraculous. I embrace the setback so that I can experience the setup. He's not done with you, Painesville Assembly of God. He's not done with you, brother or sister. There's still more to come. And God will allow you to go through the pruning moments in your life just to simply prophesy over you that there's unfulfilled purpose and potential and fruitfulness in you that you've not yet experienced. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet real quick? And we're going to spend the last couple minutes that we have here this morning just in God's presence. I know that um, in various ways, at various levels, the Spirit of God is speaking to different people here in the house. The Spirit of God is speaking to different people that are watching online right now. And it's the Spirit of God who wants to deeply minister to some of you. For some of you, the Spirit of God wants to directly encourage you when it comes to your faithfulness in the private places of your life. So for some of you, as you walk out of this place in a couple minutes, it will be you making decisions saying, I, I, I really need to embrace some sacred sameness in my life. I, I, I really need to work hard. It just, it's, it's just the private places of being faithful again and again and again and again and again. And then there are some of you that would say, man, I am in a pruning season right now and I've had a hard time understanding what God is up to and what God is doing in my life. But today, John 15, not Aaron, John 15 has given you some clarity as to the work and purposes of God that he intends to fulfill in your life and through your life. So would you do me a favor real quick? Would you close your eyes? If you feel comfortable, would you lift your hands to heaven right now? And just in your own way, with your own words, would you just begin to talk to Jesus about what he's spoken to you from John 15 today? Maybe he's, maybe he's uh, putting you into a moment of conviction where you just realize, I have not been faithful in the private places. I've wanted God to produce fruit through me, but I've never really embraced the private places in my life where I need to grow and be faithful. And so the Holy Spirit wants to do that work as you lift your hands and surrender yourself to him today. For some of you, it's you lifting your hands. For some of you, is a moment of surrendering and saying, God, I surrender to the pruning work that you want to do in my life. I surrender to this current season of challenge that I and my family find myself in. You are taking us through a pruning season and I just surrender myself to you and I just say, God, do your work in me. God, do what you need to do. God, go ahead and cut back whatever you need to cut back because God, I want the best, most Christ-like version of myself to come forth. And so God, today I'm just simply surrendering to you and saying, God, go ahead and do your work. Prune me, God, prune me because I know it's a prophetic filament that there's still potential in my life. So come on, lift your hands right now if you feel comfortable. And just with your own words in your mouth, go ahead and just pray for just a couple minutes. Go ahead and just talk to God for just a couple minutes. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for seasons of pruning. That, that's what some of you need to say right now. You actually need to be grateful for the pruning work he's doing in your life. You, some of you, I'm speaking prophetically now. Some of you have been resentful. And God, right now, he can't move forward, can't move you forward in your life until you get a heart full of gratitude that he's actually taking your pain and taking your difficult situations and seasons and will work it for your good, but he can't do that if your ingratitude stands in the way. So for some of you right now, lift your hands up and just simply say those words. God, I'm great. God, I'm grateful. God, thank you. God, thank you for the pain. God, thank you for the pruning.
God, thank you for the deep work that you're doing. God, thank you for the cutback. God, thank you for preparing me. Some of you need to say, God, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for not not tossing me aside like a dead branch that is withered and dried up. God, thank you that you're still working on me. God, thank you that your promises are still yes and amen in my life. That he who began a good work will bring it to completion. God, you're working on me. Thank you. Thank you for cutting away the dead areas. Thank you for cutting away the arrogant areas. Thank you for cutting away, away the areas where my ego got in the way. God, thank you. Thank you, God. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.